Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Driving Force podcast. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned endurance athlete. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's episode will be a bit different in that the focus of the discussion will be on leaders and leadership. Here to discuss this topic with me is Bottomline Technologies CEO, Rob Eberly. Rob has been CEO of Bottomline for almost 15 years now, and under his leadership, the company has become a leading provider of business payment solutions delivered across multiple geographies and markets. The growth is reflected in the financial results as well. Since 2011, Bottomline has gone from $55 million in subscription revenues to just under $300 million in 2019, and from $42 million in adjusted EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization to $100 million during that same period. Thousands of corporations around the world rely on bottom line for domestic and international payments, efficient cash management, automated workflows for payment processing and bill review, and state-of-the-art fraud detection, behavioral analytics, and regulatory compliance solutions. Some of the leadership topics I did touch on with Rob include the, the importance of setting the right tone early on, the biggest challenges of being CEO, the connection between leadership and mentorship, and his thoughts on the most important qualities in good leader. I'm excited to share this one with you all. And so, without further ado, my interview with Rob Eberly. This episode will be a bit different from others that I've done in that a large focus will be on leaders uh, and leadership. And so, I'd like to start this episode off with a quote from a book I recently read, and it goes... The goal of all leaders should be to work themselves out of a job. When mentored and coached properly, the junior leader can eventually replace the senior leader, allowing the senior leader to move on to the next level of leadership. And that's from the book, uh, Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Um, First, do you agree with this quote? And second, would you say that you've been able to successfully work yourself out of a lot of jobs at bottom line? You know, I think the way I'd say it is that the goal of a leader should be to work themselves out of a capability or a task or an action like that. So I think you're always doing that and you're developing people that will end up then taking something next that that you've done in the past or needed you in the past. So I think good leaders are doing that uh, every every day. You could say as you move up the chain if you're moving up in a hierarchy you you would be um replacing somebody in your position but that's not something i've i've been ceo for a while now almost 15 years so i think it's more about uh replacing yourself in terms of a capability it used to take me to evaluate a first m a or it used to take me to evaluate a product proposition and as you move to a large organization you're setting more of the tone and the culture Right. So would you say that you've been able to kind of work yourself out of a lot of these different capabilities? Oh, it's a long list of things that I used to be right in the middle of that I no longer do today. And other people do them because I've been able to um, mentor them and coach them into taking those tasks on. Mm-hmm. And then what's really exciting is when they do them uh, with the guidance, with the instruction, but end up doing it better than you might have ever done it. Right. What are uh, what would be like some examples at a high level? 
Oh, there's tons of examples. You know, I think about our marketing, for example. We have people that have just taken that to a whole next level. Think about our culture and people's success. It's important to have certain principles on how we're going to work with, with and for each other, how we want to treat people, what kind of an environment we want to make, what's most important. And then you get professionals that take that to a whole next level. Our selling and how we're in front of the customer is something that you know, a decade ago was at one level of capability we could offer. And today it's at a whole different level of capability. So some of that is mentoring and developing people. Some of that's the growth in the business. Some of that's technology, but it's at a whole different level than it was when I was first uh, developing people to take on those roles. Right. And, uh, you mentioned the word mentor, uh, two or three times already. Um, do you think, along with being a leader, do you think of yourself as a mentor to other executives also at Bottom Line? Well, at Bottom Line and outside of Bottom Line, I think the mentor does not have to be a extremely formal arrangement. You know, I had mentors that I would meet for lunch twice a year. That's not a lot. That's not a lot of work. That's not on a regular calendar. But I'd learn something all the time from them. So I think you can have and should have mentors that are all around you, people that you're getting a piece from that you like an element of how they do something. They may do other things in a way that you wouldn't uh, emulate or you wouldn't aspire to. Right. And I think that um, you can have, you know, many different mentors across I guess, various different uh, needs that you might have, if that makes sense. Like, so you might have one mentor for, um, you know, marketing knowledge or one mentor for um, corporate strategy. Um, do, do you have yeah, those? Yeah, and, and I think of it even a little on some of the softer skills, you know, one mentor for how that person tr treats with and works with people, um, another mentor for their competitiveness and their desire to win. Uh, another me mentor for their confidence and optimism, you know. Um, so you could mentor, role model, um, some of some of both in that equation. But absolutely, they're all around us. They're at, all around us. Mentors and role models are all around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, they don't really have to be, um, you know, people that you're really, really close to, too. Um, I mean, even for me, they, you know, some role models are like digital. I haven't even met them yet, but I draw a lot of um, inspiration from hearing their story. Well, and they don't have to be senior. We have a saying at bottom line, one of our success characteristics is be a role model. That's true for a senior person as true. It's as true for a senior person as it is for a junior person. It's true for someone who just joined bottom line. It could be true for someone who's here as an intern. You can be a role model in terms of your passion, your curiosity, your drive, your thoroughness, your pleasantness, any characteristic. Yeah. It's uh, also common knowledge now to say that being an effective leader means being an effective manager of people. Um my question is, how many people do you think one leader can, you know, really effectively manage? Is it, is it three? Is it 
six? Is it ten? Well, see, there's a difference between leaders and managers. And a manager will get you from A to B if you point out B and you set up guardrails and checkpoints. And the better the manager, the less guardrails and checkpoints you need, the the more off track that manager may be, the more you need to check in. Leaders leaders see an opportunity or problem on their own. Leaders say, what is it I need to do to address that problem or capture that opportunity? And then they execute on that. And you can have lots and lots of leaders reporting to you, if you will, if that's what the question's about, without um, that taking an awful lot of effort. You're setting a tone, you're setting the larger goals, you're setting the culture. Managers are a different category. Managers um, you've got to watch them. You've got to point out what A to B was. And unfortunately, there'll be a lot of people that are effective managers and then they're put in a role of true leadership and they fail in that because it's not as clear for them what the goal is. It's not as clear for them on how to do stuff. Those decisions be, um, beyond how do we get from here to there are, can often be much more difficult for people. Got it. I see. So it's not necessarily that there's um, really a, uh, a number like um, that. Yeah, not one. at all. Mm-hmm. You know, not at all. I mean, you you have somebody strong, you're aligned, they're informing you what's going on. You have somebody that's, and you could have uh, you know, 15 of those. Um, if you've got people that you have to be telling them where they're going, they're off track and those pieces, then you know, you might find half a dozen a lot. Right. How important is it for a leader to have complete trust in their employees? You know, I think what you want is complete alignment, you know, and not surprises. And then that's the basis of, of that trust. Um, you know, just blindly go off and do, well, you don't get the organization behind you. So think you want to uh, you you don't want to be in a position of distrust but you want to be in a position you're sharing information and everybody's aligned got it i see and alignment could be in terms of alignment of in terms of the mission of the company alignment in terms of the the objective as particular project or kind of just everything well and actually i have kind of a unique way from gathering feedback from frontline and people in front of the customer. And I use what I call did you knows, which is once a week, send me an email on a did you know. It's not a status report. It's not a summary of your activity. It's not a pipeline report or something on sales. It's literally as the title suggests. Tell me one or two things you think I'd find interesting. And by the way, copy anybody else who wanted to, whether that's others in your group, your leader or whatever. And I probably get a hundred of those uh, a week and it's fabulous because I have an opportunity in just reading an email that could take a couple of minutes to write and a couple of minutes to read. I can find myself being placed at a sales call in Spokane, Washington or at a customer event in Arizona or in a product meeting that occurred in um, Long Island, wherever it may be. And that really works and works well for me. So it takes people a little bit of time sometimes to get comfortable with that. But at the end of the day, actually, it's an invitation to 
a hundred or so people to communicate directly and regularly with the CEO and then anyone else in the organization they want to. So that's my did you knows. Uh, and again, it's been very effective for sharing information. Now, there's three components of good decision making. One is going to be intelligence and very hard to increase that. And when you get older, as I say, it probably starts to head down on you. The second is experience. You can move that dial, but that takes long periods of time. And the third is information. So the more information you can have from frontline or whatever term, product, customer, what are people asking, the better decisions you're going to make. Do you uh, do you try to read all of the did you email uh, did you know emails that you um, get every every week or however often you um, I read every one of them yeah and then I'll go back and read them again absolutely absolutely do do you find that it's um, I, I would I would guess that might take um, quite some time do you feel like it's a good it's always been a good use of your time yeah it takes some time but you know we all have mobile devices, we have the opportunity to read that at different points in time in the day, get back to it, um, circle back and follow up on some things. So uh, I think if you were trying to schedule one-on-one meetings, spend five minutes, tell me one thing, that would never work. Um, it, it actually where is a instance where kind of a different use of email can work very effectively. So yeah, read them all. Has there, um, do the frontline employees uh, appreciate this? Like, have you gotten you know, feedback from them on this way you gather feedback from them? <laughs> so, you know, it, there's a mix. Some really, and, and I'd say the majority really appreciate the opportunity. We have a direct one-on-one relationship. They will tell me, I can tell you that the Madonna concert in England was not exciting because it wasn't as good as the... 20 some odd other shows that one person had seen. I can tell you about a kid's basketball team that they're third in the state. And if they win tonight, they have a shot at making winning the state championship. People include personal stuff on it. It lets you build a relationship, share information. There's a subset of people that get kind of panicked over it. What am I going to tell the CEO and that stuff? And I think there's actually a wonderful training opportunity in that because if you can get comfortable communicating all levels of the organization, that's going to really be in, in confident in that. It really helps you throughout your career. So I, to be clear, there's some people that do stumble with it. They're trying to find something super important. to me. And I always say, listen, 140 characters is a tweet. It can tell us a lot. It doesn't need to be complex. doesn't need to be perfect. Just write it like you were writing a text to a friend. Yeah. Uh, let's move to um, discussing probably one of the hardest decisions you know a leader or manager has to do and that's um handling the firing of an an employee what what is broadly speaking um in your opinion the best way to handle firing an employee so i appreciate why you say it that way but i don't think it's the hardest thing a leader does so first of the hardest thing a leader's having to do is to decide what where are we going In other words, what market are we entering? How, where, how are we competing on that? Sometimes you're in a leader and you've got an established business you're running, that's fine. But 
always thinking about where are we changing, what new things are we doing, are we investing more in going this direction or that direction. Those are much harder um, because they're going to have consequences for the entire organization. Letting someone go, separating someone out from the business is the most loyal act you can do. We have about 2,000 people today at bottom line. It's the most loyal thing you can do for the 199 people at the company. You owe them that. And it's actually the most loyal thing you can do to that individual because they're in a position where they're not succeeding and they're not going to succeed. And being cut allows them to move on to the next phase and next piece in a place where it may work better for them. Uh, and that's, that's certainly true. I've experienced that personally. I've been cut myself. And it, a long time ago, and I was in the wrong kind of role for me, I kind of knew that. I was actively looking at other things. But being cut was the best thing that happened to me. So I think you want to be respectful in that. You want to help people on that um, transition, how they think about where they're going next and what they would do. But actually don't find it difficult or, or the hardest thing a, a, a leader does. If you neglect that and you, everyone knows that person doesn't belong here and you lose the team, you lose everything, and that poor person's suffering in the wrong role. So uh, I get why you ask it that way and why you say it's one of the hardest things. But it's really not. And then the proof of it, the last thing, is when you see someone who's succeeding in a new role and they see you at a trade conference or they just send you an email and saying, thank you. Here's what they're doing now. So that that um, letting making that tough decision, it is tough at the moment. It's not pleasant for the person, but it's the best decision for everybody, including the individual. I see. I see. That makes uh, that make that makes a lot of sense. Um, is and I'm sure every you know firing uh, I guess situation um, for every person and their situation is kind of always unique. Do you think um, I guess there can be an effective process put in place to help managers or leaders in their de- decision on whether or not to fire someone? Or is kind of the situation too you know, unique? I even, it's interesting. It, I hadn't really thought about this before, but just hearing you say it, um, we actually don't end up using the word fire um, that often here. We'll say we're separating or going to part ways or other things. And I don't think that's a euphemism. You know, fire makes it sound like it's a firing line and you're dead, they're gone. No, they're just moving from here to the next spot in their professional career. And in today's world, we'll hire someone that was let go from a place. Like I said earlier, I've been let go. Um, and I think you, you to use a little sports analogy, if once you've had that experience, you're no longer afraid of the ball. And whether that's the baseball, the soccer ball, whatever you want it, you can't play confidently and you can't lean in. You can't take risks if you're afraid of being let go. One of the greatest strengths I've had is never is not having that fear. Um, for decades now, and that's allowed me to take more risks, to be more confident. Um, so it's it's not it's not that harmful, um, terrible, bad experience. It's a change, just like graduating from a school. You don't stay at a school forever. Well, you're going to move on from this job. This happens to be the employer's decision or company's decision rather than yours. It's not ideal. Then you get up and move on from there. 
do you think the distinction between the words firing or you're like you're fired or and you're being let go is really important for the person moving you forward know, I to the think, next step? Yeah, I think the word fire connotates punitive, you know. You did something wrong. And there's instances, certainly a breach of integrity or things like that would warrant that in that immediate dismissal. I think any, I think in today's business world, certainly a bottom line, um, it's a this isn't working. You're not bringing to, to us the skills and impact or contribution we need. And it may very well be that the company is not putting you in the situation to leverage your strengths and be as successful as you might be. It's much more of that. Right. Right. In, in the book, Extreme Ownership, um, the book derives its title from kind of the underlying principle. So leaders must own everything in their world. Um, there's no one else to blame. It, it all falls on the leader. Do you think when something goes wrong at a company, the leaders and the managers are almost always at fault? No, I think the leader has a responsibility. A leader has a responsibility for culture and tone. The leader's responsible at the end of the day. I'll give you two different examples. I think at a Wells Fargo where there's a culture of cutting the corners, I think the leader is responsible there. I think at a um, J.P. Morgan that there's a trader off in a, in London it's, um, does things that's pretty difficult to pin that on Jamie Dimon from my perspective. So I, I think you can also substitute in that the board. I think there's a huge mistake in thinking where was the board on each and every action that's occurring in a company. A leader or a board needs to set the culture, needs to set the tone, needs to set the direction, but they aren't going to be there for every interaction every event and there's certainly going to be mistakes right so in really setting an effective tone from the start that kind of all um everyone kind of down the line to the frontline employee kind of understands yeah. and follows you know what a great leader is a great leader's in the room without being in the room and what i mean by that is a, is when there's a decision to be made around the product or what to do or what to charge or what should we say or whatever it is that the leader's not in the room, but everyone knows what that leader would say and everyone knows what that leader would expect. Right. Um, how often has you, have you failed as a leader? I fail every day, every <laughs> single day. <laughs> and I don't say that as a joke. I mean, the opportunity is to inspire people to to um, to have insights on the market, to take the company forward. Uh, I will fall short of different pieces of that every day. Now I don't beat myself up over that, but there's always opportunity to do better and to do more. And there'll be in each interaction with somebody in the company is a leadership interaction. And do you get every one of those right? No. And do as well as you might have in the, each one of those? No. So I think you also got to be, as a leader, you got to be comfortable with failure. You know, I'll find that younger people sometimes will come to me with a big smile. How am I doing? And anything short of an A 
is discouraging and frustrating. We're all on a journey to become the best we can be. Very few of us are the best we can be day one. Uh, I make mistakes and fail literally every day. Um, most of those will be smaller mistakes, uh, but there's we all have an opportunity. I certainly have a lot of opportunity to continue to do more, and that's one of the motivating things about it. Yeah, and I think that kind of ties into the idea of always having a, a growth mindset as well, right? Absolutely. If as, you think you've never failed, you can't, don't show me a leader who tells me they've never failed. That That's, that's um, you're, one, you're in denial. Second, you're not taking big enough risks. Um, third, you're not thinking about how do I get better and have a vision on of a better version of yourself as a leader mm -hmm. and as it relates to business do you agree with the statement that there are no bad teams only bad leaders you know every company over time gets the people it deserves a friend of mine said that i think that's very very true and then i think it's similarly true of leaders every leader over time gets the team he or she deserves um, are you a leader that's attracted people, motivated them, inspired them, set the right direction, set the right culture? Uh, I think that's that's a question. Now, there certainly can be bad teams if you've come into a new situation or a new company or uh, anything else. But I think over time, every leader gets the people and team they deserve. And do you think... Um... Uh, maybe like an example of like a bad functioning team within an organization, do you think bringing in a very um, high quality leader from outside can make that team, uh, I guess, high performing? You know, it depends what the word high quality is. You know, sometimes that person can come in from be a person on that team. You know, we, we all experience, leadership is not the most senior person or the person um, with the title. Now, that person is certainly the leader of that group, but leadership can come from anywhere in that group. So that can be uh, inspiring and strong individual. It can be the college hire who's a role model for enthusiasm, and curiosity, driving to closure. So it can come from all different angles. And if you think, sometimes thinking you're going to hire someone to fix isn't looking at the root cause problem. So there have been more sales leaders hired to fix what were product market and competitive dynamics issues. There have been individuals that have been hired to lead customer success or customer satisfaction type functions. We use delight rather than satisfaction. And the company hasn't looked at the fundamental problems in culture product, um, all of the delivery, delivery model. So a leader isn't going to be able to fix root cause issues that could be much deeper. Right. What and when was your first real leadership experience out of curiosity? You know, I think we all have leadership experiences, leadership experiences, um, you know, three, uh, three guys playing um, 
three-on-three basketball leadership when at eight years old. Leadership experiences anytime you're with other individuals and you're trying to make a decision and saying, where do we go or what do we do or how do we act? And that occurs through, throughout our lives, different, different ways and groups informally and sports teams and school and other things, um, more so than, you know, assigned to be a manager. I think that the, the world and kind of business literature looks at that as more of an assigned and managing. And I get, I get that that is a transition, but uh, every one of us can think of a point in time where we were a leader prior to sixth grade in some way. Right, so pretty much from, uh, I guess, childhood sports, maybe you could say that. Um, you know, you childhood mentioned. sports, but ch- childhood, it's not just sports because not everyone plays sports. Could be the classroom, right? Did, right? Was there a project or was there a direction or was there an opportunity? Was there, how did a group treat um, an individual and was that positive, negative, and what what role did you, did you play in changing that or influencing that? Those are all leadership opportunities. I see. Going back to what you said about uh, fixing fundamental uh, kind of root causes and problems within an organization is is um, maybe taking a step back from kind of all the daily activities um, of kind of running the business and pointing your attention towards fixing that fundamental issue or problem, uh, a really challenging thing to do and get kind of get people to, to be a part of, if that makes sense. Well, it does. If that, if that really challenging piece is something that's a discrete fixable thing, sometimes if that's culture, then it actually exists in the day to day and the little things. And one of the mistakes people will make is they'll, you know, have a PowerPoint or a slogan for culture, but all the day-to-day activity is different than that. You say, we want to, nothing matters more than delighting our customers. But if at every interaction, it's different than that. How are we getting more money from it is our only concern, or how are we going to deliver a lower cost capability to them? Uh, then you're not really consistent with that, that, mission that you said was delighting customers. So I think a lot of it does actually exist in the day-to-day. Culture is the accumulation of lots of lots of little activities and actions that really define a working environment and what's truly important. It's not defined by what you put up on the website or uh, in a plaque somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, going back to kind of setting the tone, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As you have risen through the various levels of corporate leadership, has your job naturally shifted to focusing more on high-level strategy versus minutia and tactics? Well, there's so many shifts. So that's one that shifted as moving to different levels. Um, second, I think for anybody that's been around for a couple decades or more as I have, um, the, the technology has certainly changed and how you're competing, how you're going to market then the other piece that's changed a lot is the work environment. There's much less command and control. There's much less hierarchy. There's a, a, um, a whole different proposition. There's much more mobility in a workforce today. 
Uh, so there's a lot that changes because the times change or size of your organization could change. And then just as many things that change as you might move to different roles. And how challenging has it, has that been that, has that, um, excuse me, been, been for you and, and kind of reacting to all those, I guess, seismic shifts in kind of the corporate world. Well, you know, I go back to my I make mistakes every day. I think you'd always in hindsight like to react sooner and quicker and be in front of those things. Uh, uh, I, I think once you get that where you need to go and what's going what's going to change and how that's and you really buy into that, that change is necessary. then I don't really find that hard. The hardest part's probably trying to predict those changes or see them earlier uh, rather than reacting to them and seeing them later. Mm-hmm. And that right. could be whether that's, you know, cloud delivery or um, data management or product or go to market or work environment or priorities for a company, whatever that may be. Seeing that sooner is probably the harder part than making the change. I see. Um, can you provide an example of one of the hardest decisions you've had to make? as a leader and what the consequences of that decision were kind of broadly speaking? You know, I think you're making um, difficult trade-offs all the time. I think one of the harder things for bottom line is balancing the level of investment and the level of product. And one would first call that hard, um, but then it actually gets so, so easy because if you're going to manage for the longer term, if you're going to manage for, how is the business going to be stronger in a year, three years, and five years? That gets really easy. If you were managing for how's the business going to do well in the next quarter and two quarters only, and then kind of putting secondary what you really need to do for the longer term, then that can seem like a much harder decision. So I don't know if that was helpful, but I think managing what are the big trade-offs and where we're going to go that aren't going to have payoffs today, but are really important and are going to be create our future. Those can be hard decisions when much of the world, certainly as a public company, is looking at you on a 90-day basis. What you said um, before and kind of taking a longer-term approach, does bottom line being a public company somewhat prevent you from taking a long-term view with certain strategic decisions? You know, I, th I think the if you hadn't inserted the word somewhat, I would have disagreed. I think, of course, it somewhat does, sure, uh, to suddenly decide we're going to not, we have about 100 million EBITDA today to decide we're going to be break-even because we see some big market opportunity or we're going to be 50 million of EBITDA. That would be a challenging and that decision wouldn't really work for the public markets. So there's it somewhat prevents you or it provides it, it brings some constraints to it, but it certainly doesn't prevent you from taking a longer term view. It's how do you get that longer term view within the constraints of uh, modestly increasing EBITDA if that's what's necessary as a public company. Does it sometimes, uh, I guess, pain you, uh, I guess, in a certain sense, to be a public company? Do you like have days where you wish kind of you didn't have to? Well, I think it's a bit of a misnomer that a public company has to answer to shareholders every 90 days. We all have to answer. 
We have to answer to the bank. We have to answer to our own goals. Even if you own the business 100% yourself, you'd have objectives you'd set that you either achieved or didn't achieve. So it, I think we all have to answer. Um, you know, a public company has to do that on a 90-day basis to a set of public shareholders, but you have instant access to capital markets. You have a currency for M&A and recruiting talent. There are a number of benefits to that. You know, a private company um, can make a decision in a smaller group that they're going to invest more in a market opportunity or in product or uh, invest less. They can make decisions uh, in a small with a smaller group and have a wider spectrum of decisions. But I never lament being a public company uh, or wish we were private or otherwise. There's uh, there's a number of benefits that come with being public. Um, does any of the kind of the underlying principles of leadership change in, because of the fact you're running a public company? I, w- I would guess there there isn't. You know, I think the underlying things don't change. I think there's a little bit of difference, although Elon Musk certainly um, uh, would run against that. I think you are a bit of a, a public a figure then so things the the ability to just announce internally or on a social media about a customer win or um, other things you have to watch that you're not crossing into uh, material non-public information or some sort of insider piece so there's a little bit of constraint around communication and what you can share uh, in a public company context that you may choose to do the same thing in a private, but at least you'd have more flexibility if you wanted to. So I think that is a little bit different in a leadership role in a public company. Got it. Got it. Do you have a leadership hero or someone that really stands out to you as a leader? You know, I don't have a single leadership hero. I think it's a composite of different qualities and skills. I think that's a better way to to think about it. Uh, that certainly works better for me. Who do I really admire from a sales and sales leadership perspective? Who do I admire from product? Who do I admire from uh, their tone and touch with people? Uh, so I'll look at a mix of different leaders that I've had the privilege to be exposed to. Um, can you give me one from maybe the, the sales perspective? You know, the sales perspective um, would be uh, uh, Bill Murphy is not as well publicly known, uh, but was this just a fabulous sales leader, always understood the sales team. You know, the, yeah, everyone on the sales team felt they were part. He was on their side and team, not a sales leader asking what's your deal going to be or what's your number. Uh, always kind of player coach that the team admired and respected and then understood the sales process and put himself everybody understands there's a compelling reason to sell you want to get revenue you want to sell your product the question is have you really put forth a compelling reason to buy have you put yourself in that customer's um, position have you understood their needs their requirements have you figured how you match those and uh, lots of other things. We want to accelerate the sales cycle. Well, actually, what you want to do is you want to prolong the sales cycle. And the answer is yes. Um, so, yeah, Bill Murphy was a, a, and is a fabulous um, sales, uh, sales and sales leadership mentor for me. Uh, where did he work or where does he work? 
Um, Bill's retired now. Bill was um, at New England Data and uh, Telzon, um, which is where I had a chance to work with him. I see. Gotcha. You know, there's famous folks you can look at, too. You look at this Steve Jobs on product. You know, what does what is um, if customers don't know what they want till I tell them the vision around how am I creating a product totally changes. Went back into Apple, asked everyone what's wrong with the company. Everybody came back with different answers around cost, margins, quality. His answer was simple, the products, we own the right product. Um, so really a, such a product focused person and leader. You know, a little um, a little crazy in some approach, but wow, right on, spot on on product and companies still look um, successful today as a result. Right. Yeah. Uh, and going back to leadership qualities, if you were to rank the most important qualities that make up an effective leader, what would you put at the top? You know, I think you've got to be a listener because you want to be able to take in all the information and facts around. Uh, I think you've got to be certainly you've got to be curious. You've got to be caring because if it's just about you, you're not going to get the teams and people behind you. Um, you've got to care about a mission bigger than you. I actually probably put that as the most important one because everyone else around will respond to that and see that. Would you call that um, like unselfishness and putting the the mission before kind of? Yeah, around? I think that's right. I guess that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. And there's a servant leader aspect to that as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would um, I would tend to agree with that as well. If you had to give one piece of leadership advice to the next CEO of Bottomline, whoever it might be, what would you say to him or her? Well, I, th I think I've covered some of that. I think it's about, it's not about uh, you. It's about how are you taking the business to the next level? Are you having a mission um, and serving? I like to say I report to, or I work for 2,000 families. Uh, um, so I think it would be thinking about something bigger than you. And second, driving it for long-term. Managing as a public company to the 90-day, what's important and what are investors asking for uh, is actually a, a frequently diametrically opposed to how am I leading in product and technology where that's continuing to move and how you find the balance point between those two. Yeah, I think um, it sounds like there you have to, or I guess there's a lot of kind of give and take when it comes to um, the focus of a leader at a given time, would you say? Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, like, maybe provide another example. You know, I think the other thing I'd say is what What are you in it for? Um, and I think if you're in, in it, and when we're younger in our careers, there's naturally an element of proving ourselves to ourselves and to the world and achieving that next ring. When you actually become CEO, um, you may have some of that initially, and I, I certainly or probably did. I think today what it's about for me is how do I leave it better than I found it? How do I put bottom line on um, the bus trajectory from a product 
team, customers, markets, financial, culture, all of those elements. How do I put it on the best trajectory? So you left it better than you found it. And what was what was the feeling like for you um, day one when you were at bottom line? Was it kind of a whole host of different emotions, you know, maybe uh, you know, really excited, nervous, um, kind of a lot of uncertainty? What was, uh, what was it like? Well, I can tell you, I remember this quote, the day that the board appointed me as CEO, I went home and I was excited and I was this was great news and I was excited to tell my family and I got home and they were watching TV and Portsmouth Little League was losing in the Little League World Series and uh, my everyone was upset my daughter my son my wife and there was nothing about the news of um, me or dad being CEO that mattered more than that Little League game to them so sort of put it in perspective the other thing I'd say about it is I thought it wouldn't be that different from other leadership roles I'd had, but it's entirely different because in other roles, the ultimate direction is set or set by someone else. And in the CEO role, you own that. Where where are we going in product? Where are we going pricing, markets, investment? And those decisions ultimately will sit with you. You have the leadership team and there's a board and others, but Ultimately, that sits with you. So I didn't think it would be as different as it is. And then it also actually continues to evolve as you evolve and as the business evolves. Mm-hmm. And was be- interacting with a board of directors a whole new experience for you as well? No, I'd been uh, involved with the board and been in other senior roles. So that wasn't... Uh, a, a new experience. And I think the way to approach that is actually it's another set of individuals. Part of the reason I do the did you knows is to get people comfortable with interacting with the CEO. I think that, that as soon as you put the label, the board on it, it makes it potentially more intimidating, more formal, more. And part of the reason I do the did you know, one of the reasons is it has people communicating with the CEO to take away any of that formality or that hierarchy or that anxiety that may exist right what what's kept you driven for for so many years as a leader is it an innate drive is it for the recognition you know success money what is it what is it for you well, it's not recognition I can tell you that at times I think it's changed though I sort of references or I think it's it changes over time. Initially, you want to prove yourself to yourself and to others around you. You want to prove to the board they made the right decision in choosing you. But once you establish that, you need or you hopefully will find other motivation. And my motivation today is to leave it better than I found it, to put this company that I've been a privilege to be a part of for two decades now on the strongest, strongest footing from a product market competitor, uh, customer, team, culture, financial, from every perspective, so that it goes for decades and decades more of strength as a result. And I guess, lastly, what what advice would you like to leave um, for someone that just got put in charge of a team for the first time at their company? 
I'd start with the customer. What's the customer buying? Why? How's it work? I find leaders that come in and don't understand the services, products, offerings that the business they're involved in has. Start right with the customer. Everything comes back from the customer. And if it's maybe not such an obvious um, customer-facing team, would you then, I guess, say the most immediate like stakeholder, if that makes sense? Like, say, if it's like this. No, I think that would be a mistake because you know every the businesses that say I have an, we don't have any internal customers at bottom line because what you quickly do if you have internal customers is you have seventy-five percent of the place focused internally. 25% on the real customers. Wherever you are in that organization, figure out what is customers buying from us if you're, whether you're in the accounting function or IT or you never talk to a customer in the course of the year. Still understand what is it we're providing and how does that, what's the value to that customer and why are they choosing us over anyone else? And the closer you can get to understanding that, uh, the more aligned you're going to be with what really matters in the business. And if you find yourself in an organization where no one seems to focus on that or care about that, it probably is not going to be that successful an organization, and you may not want to stay there. I see. I see. That that, uh, that makes sense. Um, well, I think we can wrap this up. Um, Rob, I know um, you're a little short on time. So um, I just want to say thanks again for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Now, it was interesting. I appreciate the opportunity. If there's anything in the recording or anything that's off, um, I certainly could do part or any of it uh, over if you want to. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And uh, thanks, everyone who's listening. Um, and remember, you can follow me on Instagram at ChaseRosa4 for updates on new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Uh, that's it for this week, and see you next time.